Good afternoon, good evening. You're tuned in to Real People of Orange County on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're broadcasting live from the University of California campus in Irvine. We're streaming on the web at KUCI.org, and we are available via podcast, both on KUCI's website at KimberlyMartin.com, on iTunes. There's, a, there's no place you can't find us. I'm your guest host, Marie Stone. Kimberly Martin is out, but I'm pleased to be able to sit in again. This show is an informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. The guests on this show are all people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity, and today is no exception. So if you live in Southern California or really anywhere, you may have heard that we're experiencing an extreme drought. And uh, today I am extremely lucky to be talking with three experts in this field who are going to give us the lowdown on the California drought, how bad it is, how, um, how we're going to get ourselves out of it, some, uh, what the problems are, what the solutions are. We're going to cover all of it. Uh, I am joined today by Andy Comer and uh, Brian Cullen, a good friend of mine, Brian Cullen, and Floyd Wicks. I'll give a brief introduction, and then we will dive into all of your uh, all of your questions about water, drought, and what to do about it. Andy Comer is a technical expert on engineering infrastructure, having successfully performed engineering design, project management, and field services for over $200 million in capital on over 40 completed water resource projects in the past 10 years. His background as a researcher has led to four national presentations and technical papers. Andy is sought after as a technical consultant and designer on water resource projects, including water infrastructure, advanced wastewater treatment, and water recycling, drinking water, ocean, and brackish water desalinization, groundwater recharge, lake and reservoir water quality enhancements, and new technology research and development. As part of the design and engineering of such projects, Andy is adept at providing comprehensive civil, mechanical, structural, electrical, and controls design, which are innovative, cost-effective, and highly operable. He has an excellent breadth and depth of experience in water resources. That's a mouthful, Andy. Brian Cullen is the president of Perk Water. He is an accomplished visionary senior executive with over 25 years of experience in environmental and water industry and has been the president of Perk since 2001. Brian's expertise in corporate leadership, turnaround management, acquisitions, strategic planning, operations, and P&L management with growth and established organizations. As president and member of the board of directors of Perk, Brian has uh, been instrumental in the development, negotiation, and successful implementation of 18 water infrastructure projects valued in the hundreds of millions of dollars, including serving as the lead person in the Santa Paula, California Public-Private Partnership Project. Say that five times fast. The first 100% privately funded water recycling facility in the U.S. valued at over $300 million. Brian was educated at Griffith College in Dublin, Ireland, so you will recognize him by his accent every time he speaks today, uh, in Thames Valley University, London, with an emphasis in economics and accountancy, and is a certified management accountant in the Institute of Management Accountants in the U.S., and a technical accountant through the Institute of Accounting Technicians in Ireland. Brian, hi. Hi. <laughs> And finally, last but certainly not least, Floyd Wicks was formerly vice chairman of American States Water Company and former president and CEO, which held which he held from 92 to 2008. Floyd was responsible for implementing the strategic growth and overall management of all American sales water company subsidiaries. He was a board member from 1990 to mid-2009. Floyd is a graduate of Ohio State University, where he earned his bachelor's degree in civil engineering and his master's degree in water resourcing engineering. 
He's a registered professional engineer in California, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. His professional career spans 35 years in the water industry. He's an active in numerous professional organizations and uh, serving on board of directors. His, uh, his bio, it really goes on. <laughs> <laughs> Floyd has done everything. Let's just put it that way. Floyd has done everything. And uh, it is my extreme pleasure to welcome all three gentlemen on today. Floyd, anything important that I left out, you can, uh, you can certainly fill us in on. Just fine. Gentlemen, welcome. So let's start out with, with talking how big of trouble we're in, uh, if this is the worst drought California has ever been in, if we're in Chinatown times, if we're in John Steinbeck times. Sort of uh, start out giving us the, the scope of how deep we're in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want me to go on this one, Floyd? <laughs> well, I mean, what's interesting about this drought is um, the fact that it's becoming it's raising the awareness of the water issues in in California and um, you know as Andy said earlier you know water wasn't very cool but it seems to be becoming cool now and uh, and hip and and uh, the awareness is is very strong in, in California that people are asking all the time what's going on with the water and um, what are we going to do are we running out of water and what options do we have available and and so on and so forth so it's um it's a very interesting time, and it is the it is the worst uh, drought on record. I think they're mm. saying in um, the last twelve hundred years. So I suppose wow. they go back that far. Oh, and um, you know, it's it's serious. So there's um, there's many things the state are doing about it, and uh, it's it it is a serious issue to the economy of California, and uh, and the growth of California. So it's um, and the state is very aware of the issue and the crisis and uh, making making great strides to to come up with solutions nice and i just wanted to share this is andy that you know you're going to see in the next couple of months some mandatory cutbacks locally at the house um, and so people will start to finally feel it but before that we haven't really felt it very much because there's so much groundwater that's been available and the groundwater levels have been going down and down and down. Maybe not in Orange County as much where we do so much recycling, we recharge with recycled water into the aquifers, but especially in the Central Valley. And so new wells are being drilled deeper and deeper and deeper. And so the hurt hasn't been felt yet. But at some point, that is going to become the case. Well, and on that, um, Andy, the in Orange County, m most people are not aware, but we have the largest water recycling facility here in Fenton Valley. And um, so the northern cities of Orange County recycles about 100 million gallons a day of mm. what was wastewater. This was wastewater that was going into the ocean. And about uh, six or seven years ago, the Orange County Water District implemented this, this facility to recycle that water and has been recycling 70 million gallons a day and now is expanding that to 100. Mm. And that, that replenishes the groundwater. So, um, so that, that groundwater recharge or putting it back into the ground for storage, and then sometime later it gets pumped back out by various cities in the north part of Orange County and gets treated again and shows up at our houses. So we are recycling water in Orange County. It is the largest water recycling facility. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, new projects being developed, a lot of action going on. Uh, Carlsbad is building the largest seawater desalination plant in the Western Hemisphere right now. It's scheduled to go into operation, I think, later this year. 
and that's going to produce uh, about 50 million gallons a day of new water, representing, I think it's about 6% of the water supply for San Diego. Wow. So, um, and that same uh, company that's developed that project is also looking to develop a, a sister plant in Huntington Beach and to produce the same volume of water for the Orange County Water District. So what I've heard, I've, I know nothing about this topic. I'll go on record as saying that. But but the only thing that I know about desalinization plants is that, A, they're expensive, B, they're um, energy, uh, uh, what, <laughs> the only words that I'm thinking of I can't use, and they're, they're energy consumers, and um, and then by the time they get implemented, you know, it starts raining again. Um, have I heard wrong? No, I think you've heard right. And uh, by example, the city of Santa Barbara actually built a desal plant in the 1990s when the state was going through the, a similar kind of drought. Um, and they put the plant into into uh, service only for about 30 days. And in 1991, I believe it was, uh, the so-called March Miracle mm. rainfall came, and they shut the plant down completely. And they mothballed the plant, a $35 million investment, um, completely tore it apart, mm-hmm. and now they're in the process of rebuilding that, that very plant for almost double the amount of money. So uh, it's just um, once you put a desal plant into place, you really should plan to use it for other purposes to the extent you can um, feed groundwater basins, for example, during low demand times to get ready for the next drought because there will be more coming. And Brian mentioned that the plant here in Orange County, the recycled plant, is the largest. But I don't know if you mentioned it's the largest in the country, which wow. is uh, pretty pretty amazing right here in Orange County. And I think it, it's a testament to the leadership of the county. And people look at that plant as a, uh, as a real solid piece of... Uh, of infrastructure that that could be the, you know, the the best in class for other parts of the state and country. That's amazing. Who knew? <laughs> and so I just wanted to make it clear that you know there's water recycling, taking sewage and making very clean water. It's called tertiary recycled water that can be used for unrestricted reuse. But that reuse is for non-potable supplies or non-drinking supplies, such as golf courses. Uh, parks, playgrounds, cooling towers, industrial uses, things like that. The Orange County Water District's plant that Brian and Floyd have been referring to, that actually makes drinking water quality. So they go some through some additional steps, uh, new technology maybe a decade or two ago, but now becoming kind of the standard operation throughout the country and throughout the world to make extremely pure H2O. They remove all the salts, all the organics, uh, and the water is actually much, much cleaner than standard, you know, fresh water, as we could say. And so they take that water and put it in the ground. It becomes part of the drinking water supply. That process is less expensive than taking water out of the ocean and desalinating it because the water's got 40 times less salt than the ocean does. Uh, West Basin Water District up in uh, Redondo Beach area, they did a very close side-by-side study with actual data and it showed, you know, 60%, 70% of the cost of ocean desalination to take sewage and make it into drinking water. Wow. 
I do know, I mean, it seems like when you go to other countries, it's fairly common to have their sinks say not potable water. And I was wondering if that's where the U.S. will get to or where Southern California will get to, where, you know, whatever water is coming out, you can use for non-potable reasons. And, you know, we'll all be drinking bottled water pretty soon. I may um, comment on that. It's it's really interesting to note that the state of California has actually passed legislation that will allow treated wastewater to be treated to some level, which we don't know to what level yet. But I think it'll be that Orange County's uh, groundwater replenishment plant will become the gold standard for that new law. It's Senate Bill 322, which was passed about a year ago. Um, and it, the Senate Bill 322 calls for the State Department of Health to create what requirements will be for direct potable reuse. In other words, directly putting that water into the um, uh, drinking water system and instead of putting it into what's known as purple pipe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've heard that term, but... Uh, it's, wor- it's worth defining for... Uh for yeah, people purple who have pipe. Yeah. Uh, it's a physical color of the pipe that people have been putting in in the past to distribute recycled water to golf courses or um, cemeteries and things like that. Uh, this will avoid the capital cost of having to to put in a separate dual piping system. You can go directly into one one system. Yeah, it always strikes me as as a shame that you have golf courses using the same water that you could, you know, be drinking from out of your faucets. And so, yeah. good. Well, just on the golf course subject, I just met with a group this morning on on the golf courses in California. They only use 0.7 percent of the water supply, so there's a you know, there's a perception that there's a significant volume of waste. Um, on golf courses, but there's there's still quite a high percentage of golf courses that use recycled water, and uh, so the ones that don't use it, it's a very small fraction of it. So, it's um, you know it, it's interesting as to where the uses of water is within the state, and um, you know domestic use it represents probably about fifteen percent right. of the water, and half of that is used in irrigation. So. It's um, you know trying to find the places where you can you can build in conservation, you know, is key and more efficient systems. But but I think the priority that we need to do as a state is to stop wasting the water. I mean, we have forty-five wastewater plants dumping water into the Pacific every day, um, about one point three billion gallons a day, Mm. and then we have another half a billion gallons a day going into the San Francisco Bay. If we could recapture that, put that back into circulation, that would take care of the 25% conservation that the governor mandated on April 1 of this year. Right. So, and going back to your point about desalination, desalination is more expensive than, than uh, reuse, but it's still very, a very cost-effective utility. I mean, it's, it's, about, it's less than a penny a gallon to produce re, uh, desalinated water. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's very a very cheap utility. You so, oh go ahead go ahead in. I just wanted to point out that for the listeners here, we're, we're sitting on the campus of UCI, Irvine Ranch Water District invented purple pipe, and so you know in the early seventies they started saying, hey, we're going to use this non-potable supply, we're going to color it purple, and I just think it's interesting that the rest of the country has followed suit over the last thirty-five years, um, but. 
Irvine Ranch, the Michelson plant, which is on uh, Michelson and Harvard, it treats 30 million gallons per day, and it reuses every drop of that water. So Irvine Ranch is really, you know, the leader in taking as much of this uh, non-potable supply as possible and reusing it. But back to your question before, are the you know the water coming out of our faucets, is it going to be non-potable? I actually think people are sort of moving away from that a little bit because technology is advanced to the point where they can make potable water at a lower cost, and then now you don't have to have two different independent distribution systems. You can have one. Brian, you brought up um, an interesting point just about some of our misconceptions about water. And I was wondering if there are the three of you know of other misconceptions that uh, Californians or or anybody kind of commonly hold. I mean, I I was so surprised to learn that, you know, domestic or residential water use is only like 7%. and, And then you start wondering, you know, if I take shorter showers or if I only run the, uh, you know, washing machine once a week instead of three times a week? Am I really making a difference? And I was wondering if there are sort of misconceptions that you can fill us in on. What makes a difference in our homes? What doesn't make a difference? What we should be worried about? I've started feeling really guilty about eating almonds, which is my favorite food. (laughs) Now I hear that almonds are, you know, a horrible offender. I was just going to say, I mean, the Central Valley is really where we need the water to grow the almonds and these different types of crops. And those are the people that are sort of hurting a little bit with the drought, more than we are. We don't see it as much as I was talking about, except for maybe the little bit higher rates that we might have to pay this summer. But it seems to us that, you know, there's a lot of sources out there that are untapped, such as agricultural runoff or the sewage that you mentioned is going off into the ocean or uh, the fracking industry or the food industry. I mean, there's a lot of wastewaters that are available that we can treat and use on the farms. The cost of food might start to incrementally increase, but uh, but it's it's definitely a viable economic utility, as you mentioned, to deliver these farmers different sources of water and keep those almonds growing. Right. Well, well, the diff- the big um, challenge that we see, and probably a misunderstanding, is that there are solutions out there to to bring these sort of derelict water supplies back into supply. I mean, there's definitely solutions out there. There's definitely capital to do it. We all know there's a need. I think that the probably the biggest misun- mis- oh, no, misunderstanding, but lack of knowledge for the, for the average person is uh, the political will mm-hmm. to be able to say, let's go do this. Now, Orange County had the political will and the, and the foresight to build that facility 10 years ago. Um, we see that there's not a lot. That's not a common thing in California. Uh, this drought, I think, is raising that. I think that uh, a lot of the local government are saying, "Well, we need to do model ourselves after Orange County and the Irvine Ranch Water District and, and other communities." And San Diego is is really pushing forward now to figure out how to reuse its wastewater. Um, I mean, they put 150 million gallons a day of wastewater that yesterday was fresh water into the Pacific. And uh, so the challenge is, how do you get that back into circulation? And how do you, technically you can do it, financially you can do it, but it's just the, the, the politics and the legislation need to be streamlined to allow that to happen. And in fairness to the state, I mean, the state over the past 18 months has done a huge amount of work albeit quite late, uh, a huge amount of work to um, streamline processes, make it more favorable uh, to finance projects, make the procurement process easier for local governments to implement 
projects. Mm. I mean, there's there's a whole list of them. SB322 that, that Floyd mentioned earlier, which is the, the direction to the state and the Department of Public Health to develop uniform standards to take wastewater and make it drinkable. So, and I think that people are generally becoming more socially acceptable to these alternative water supplies mm-hmm. um, and making sure that they're, you know, getting comfortable that they will be safe for, for um, potable use. Yeah. I just want to share, even if they're not comfortable, Brian, they should know that there's 450 wastewater plants that discharge to the Colorado River right now. So the imported water that we're getting that's fresh, in a lot of cases, I know it's a smaller percentage, but it is recycled water to some extent. And, and the, uh, the Bay Delta is the same way. The Sacramento River has dozens and dozens of wastewater plants that discharge to it, which flow southward and is part of our water supply. So people should get used to the fact that we're going to be making higher quality water than these hundreds of plants that are discharging into our water supply currently. Yeah, one, just to respond to one of your questions about misconceptions, uh, I actually had a misconception myself as that that the ag industry in California used 80% of the, all the water in California. And it's not the case. I've just found out, uh, not just, but uh, some time ago, at least that about half of the volume of water in the state goes to environmental uses. And half, half of the, or 80% of the remaining half goes to ag. So it's not that they use 80% of the total Water, water supply. It's more like half of that amount. That's so good it's to know. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty dramatic. And I think, you know, ag takes a, a bad rap on this from time to time. And I, you know, the almonds. And I heard that you you need a gallon of water for every almond, right? Or some crazy number like that. But when you consider the Central Valley of California plus the Imperial Valley of California, supplies probably forty percent of the food needs for the whole country right and if we don't see that there's a an issue there to get water to their needs uh be, could become a very serious national security issue right so that's a that's just the other side of the coin for the ag so uh, for the the bad side of the coin for the ag you know we all hear about almonds are there other and i think beef also takes some tremendous oh, yeah. amount of you know water to to both you know, irrigate the the land of whatever the cattle are eating and irrigate the cattle. Are there other big offenders that people should just kind of be aware of that, you know, these are high consumption water things? Are we not supposed to talk about that? (laughs) Well, well, I I don't know if I'd use the word offender because (laughs) I think that generally speaking, um, business and industry and, and commerce, ag, are very efficient with their with their use of water. Um, I think that they, you know, like the food, the um, water bottling uh, manufacturing companies, I won't mention any names, but um, mm-hmm. they're getting a hard time. Yeah. You know, they're pumping groundwater treating and treating it, putting it in a bottle and selling it. And uh, there's controversy about that. But, you know, they're, they are efficient in their production of that water. They're recycling a lot of the water. Um, and they're, you know, that's not just water bottling firms. You can take... Um, oil refineries who use a lot of water but they're also very efficient in trying to use reuse water recycled water they have their own facilities to treat their their cooling water and then they recycle it so there's big users but there's also big sophisticated users 
uh, I would say that the biggest offenders are the fact that we, as a state, are are disposing of a valuable resource in in the wastewater. I know we're talking about that a lot today, and that's you know big part of our business. But it's a reality, and, and you know we're in that business because it's a reality. So the hard part is is how do we? That, that's who I view as the big offenders is is us, yeah, the, the state, and uh, capturing that, putting it back into the supply will make a huge difference. And then I think that some of the other big offenders are the fact that. Uh, there's so much opposition to you know, political, environmental opposition to doing projects. Right. Actually spending money and doing projects. And my view, that's, I would put them as the big offenders too. You know, the state, that is, us, population, is not moving forward on, on required projects. Right, mm-hmm. right. You are listening to Real People of Orange County on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am talking to Andy Comer, Brian Cullen, and Floyd Wicks. We are talking about the California drought, what, uh, the, how big the problem is, and some of the solutions. So let's get into some of the solutions and sort of understand, um, Brian, particularly with Perk Water, uh, what you guys do so people can kind of understand what, uh, what goes on behind the walls of Perk Water. And, uh, you know, some of the, the innovative solutions that you guys are coming up to to solve the problem. And we've kind of talked around it, but maybe we could talk directly about it, of, of, of what you do and, and how you're solving the issue. Well, and maybe I can start with why, why we do what we do and, and why we're in business is to take bad water and make it clean. I mean, that, that's really the, our, our business and why we're in business. Uh, how, we, how we do it, um, we develop water infrastructure projects. So we find a, a supply of water that may be wastewater or working with Andy on some agricultural drain water projects. We're even looking at desalination, uh, seawater desalination projects. Any, any type of water supply, what we do is we identify it and we come up with a technical solution to bring that to a level that it can be reused and, and cost effectively. So that's that's what we do, and um, and then you know how we do it. We we deliver projects through alternative delivery methods of, of infrastructure. So what that means is that we have an integrated approach um, to design, build, operate, finance where applicable, uh, new infrastructure, uh, so that it's it's one integrated res- um, approach to a project that creates one single point of responsibility and it goes back to the why we're in business which is to is to deliver certainty and deliver clean water to to clients and uh, so the company was founded in 1998 by Johan Perslow and Johan is still chairman and CEO of the company and his concept was to create and bring certainty to a very uncertain world mm-hmm. you know the, the the water infrastructure business is highly fragmented. Uh, there's not a lot of entities out there taking full responsibility for the outcome, for the performance of these facilities and this, this infrastructure. And Johan identified a gap in the market and said, well, somebody needs to step up and say, I promise to deliver this clean water for a price and on time. And um, he came up with a very elegant and creative design that we have been able to build a company around and be able to commercialize it. And since then, we've put 25 plants in the ground in the southwest. And um, 
two significant clients of ours are the city of Adelanto up in the high desert and uh, the city of Santa Paula in Ventura County. And, and what's interesting about the Santa Paula project, going back to the offering certainty to, to our clients, is that we, we actually raised about $60 million worth of private capital through pension funds, and we invested into this new facility and took full responsibility for design, for the construction, and the commissioning and the operations and the financing of this facility with no obligation by the city to pay for anything until it actually delivered compliant water. And um, very successful project, came in under budget, came in early, and is performing better than we even had hoped for. So... That's wow. that's um, that's a, a model that we really like, and um, it's slow to take off in California. Going back to the the, pr- the procurement and the and the processes and the red tape that we have to deal with here in the state, uh, but it is a it's a very viable solution to solving this water infrastructure that we have. The Carlsbad uh, plant, the desalination plant, uh, was was uh, is being delivered in the same way through a private company raising the raising the capital and building and operating it. And uh, so far, so good. So, so that's what we do. Very cool. Maybe Andy, can you talk a little bit about your day to day? Absolutely. The yeah. Fun I mean, life of Andy. Combs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love my job. I mean, being in the water industry and being able to be involved in these projects. You know, uh, Brian is lucky because you know the projects he's involved with, they get put in the ground and they end up being operated. I'd say three quarters of the stuff I look at are dreams. You know, they're, they're the dreams that people come up with to take dirty water and make it clean, and and uh, you know, three quarters of them don't don't actually happen, mm. and so but a quarter do, and it's neat because I get to work on so many different types of of water supplies. Uh, there's fracking industry that's been just so you know exciting over the last uh, eight or nine years here. Uh, there's a lot of water for every uh, for every well that's drilled, and there's about fifteen thousand of them drilled per year. There's four million gallons of water that get pumped down for the fracking process at six thousand psi. Wow! And it breaks up the rock, mm-hmm. and then immediately the before the oil comes out, the water flows back, and so you get about two million gallons of called fracking flowback water. And so that water needs to be treated and disposed of, or otherwise used again. And so that's kind of a neat new industry here. But, uh, but in, in the, for the most part, I work on projects for municipalities in the uh, local area, uh, Irvine Ranch Water District, City of Huntington Beach, Santa Margarita Water District. And there's a lot of uh, interesting you know, local water supply projects such as Gobernadora. It's a creek just south of Cota de Caza, and we uh, basically capture all of the urban runoff and the flood water uh, to put that into the non-potable supply and also help protect people downstream. So in a nutshell, that's that's what I get to do. I also teach at uh, Santiago Community College one night a week, uh, water reuse. Very fun, very fun. Floyd, you and I were talking uh, offline about projects that UCI was doing with water and the sort of successful um, conservation projects that UCI was doing back in the day. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. That uh, one of my clients, I I do consulting for just a handful of clients, and Perk Water, of course, is. Is number one. <laughs> Your favorite client. <laughs> <laughs> Another client was uh, Niagara Conservation Corporation. They manufacture uh, low-flow shower heads, faucet aerators, and low-flow, low-flush toilets. And so I, uh, with, with uh, working with Brian on a lot of the projects for various cities. One of the projects we came up with was with UC Irvine and the Irvine Ranch Water District. It was a kind of a partnership. 
and to retrofit uh, three separate areas on campus right here at UC Irvine. And the end result was about 700 dormitory units were retrofitted with a water reduction in the neighborhood of 50%, which is pretty remarkable. Amazing. Yeah. So we took that those statistics, I say we, I met uh, with Brian's uh, assurance that we could put it together with a proposal actually to the, the city of uh, Davis. And we thought it would be a game changer for the city to consider going beyond the meter to do something inside the home. Most water utilities won't do that. They'll say this is, we'll come up to the meter and that's as far as we go. But if you consider the benefits to the community, actually physically going in the home and changing out the plumbing to reduce the, the volume of water that's going in the home, or coming out of the home, I should say, both, um, what that does for every 10,000 homes that were retrofitted, you could actually reduce the hydraulic capacity of a wastewater plant by a full million gallons a day. Wow. That's a huge, a huge um, benefit to, say, a company like Perk Water when it uses that as part of the proposal to the city. Because for every one, M, one million gallons a day of reduction capacity, you're saving about $15 million in capital cost. Right. For the plant capacity, it doesn't have to be as, as great. So there, we figured uh, retrofitting the entire city of, of Davis uh, would have saved them pretty close to 20 to $25 million in capital. It would have cost them about 6 or $7 million to retrofit. Amazing. So it's a yeah. tremendous offset in capital, and I think the other thing it does, it, it uh, lowers the peak flow that comes into a wastewater plant because you're, you're uh, saving a million gallons a day, but it, that million gallons is actually saved over the peak water use times, like shower time in the morning and people getting up and getting ready to go to work. So the flow rate into the plant is actually reduced by more than a, a one million gallon a, a day flow could be up to three times that amount during the peak peak usage times. Wow. Is there an advantage to doing your, you know, if you're if you have a choice of doing your laundry or running your dishwasher at certain times of the day, does that help people? Are there things we can do domestically that that would help that don't really impact our daily life? It, there are, but you know, people are so especially in a community like Orange County generally, there aren't too many people at home during the day except for the Housewives of Orange County. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I but, can do uh, so many things to help you out during the day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there are there are things you can do. For example, if you have irrigation outdoors, of course, would be the best. The best time would be at night, right? Because if you do your watering during the day, it's gonna you're gonna waste a lot to evaporation. Right. Uh, at nighttime, it allows the to soak into the ground so you actually use a lot less water than if you try to irrigate during the day. Uh, but there, as far as other uses, they're taking care of that in many respects with washing machines that use 10% of the water they used to years ago. So it doesn't really matter that much when you do your washing. So you you said something about the UCI campus that I thought was great, that you uh, did some sort of contest with the students to see who could save the most water and I right. thought that's a perfect college thing to do. I oh mean, it was yeah <laughs> they had a little contest going and, and Niagara Conservation actually offered to 
to the winner um, an iPad. So, oh. and I forget who the winner <laughs> was, but it was it was kind of a neat way to to get people's attention on water use in in the dorm. Perfect for Americans, right? <laughs> We're so competitive. You know, one of the things that Floyd mentioned was was meters, and um, one of the things that cities are doing now is replacing their old meters um, because they're old and they're leaking and they're ineffective. And uh, so there's a push now towards what's called advanced metering infrastructure, where basically these meters would be you know, tied into a central system that you can get notifications on your iPhone and so on. And uh, so it sort of brings up the whole concept of what gets measured gets managed kind of thing. Cool. And um, But there's significant leaks with these old meters too. We, we just went through a meter audit for the city of Atalanto and uh, we, ident- we inspected every meter in the city and identified that there was about a 6% loss rate of unaccounted for water because of these faulty meters. So you replace them and, and uh, you, know, you pick up that loss. So there's, uh, you know, there's behavioral changes that will occur with, more, with better information mm-hmm. and uh, more access to smart metering and things like that. And then with the, with the um, rate structures that are based upon volume, it's interesting that there is a behavioral change with, with price. So what happens, though, is that it gets to a level where you can, you can charge whatever, but people are going to get into a level where they can't conserve any more right? because right. we all use a, a minimum amount of water every day. So I think that's kind of where we're getting to at this point. I think it's, it's, it's the in-house efficiency might be, will be de minimis, I think, but it's the, it's the infrastructure that's going to be where you're going to get the most value. Mm-hmm. On, on water and su- new water supplies, right? And I'm glad you talked about rates, Brian, because I think you know most of the students here that live on campus they get a bill from Irvine Ranch Water District, and Irvine Ranch Water District, uh, I live within the district. They basically allocate you a certain amount of water per month, and as long as you stay below that, they have some of the cheapest water around. I mean, it's a dollar thirty per 748 gallons. Wow! So I mean, think about that—almost a thousand gallons for about a dollar. Wow. But if you go over your allocation, then it doubles and quadruples and can go above that. So that's how they encourage uh, you know, lower demand and lower use. Uh, but there's a lot of communities around here that don't do that. They have uh, you know, just standard flat rates. And so I think encouraging tiered rates would be really important. I know San Juan recently got into trouble because they implemented a new a tiered rate structure. There was a lawsuit, but I think once they got their ducks in a row and kind of showed why the rates were set as they were, that went away, and they were able to implement that tiered rate structure. Well, I'm a personal story here because we had a sprinkler leak that went on forever, and we were using like triple our water thing, you know, our water allotment, and uh, it it came to our attention because you know our water bills were like five times what all of our neighbor's water bills were. So we finally woke up. And as to your point, Brian, that does wake you up, you know, finally when you see that. So we went to a city uh, city council meeting in Laguna Beach, and they said, we have the names of all of the offenders in Laguna Beach who are over their water announcement and allotment, and we're thinking of publishing it. You know, we're going to put a big scarlet letter on all of your chests, and we're going to come by and publicly shame you. <laughs> that also would work. <laughs> they totally got my attention with that. Um, So I heard tell, this was a couple of years, maybe about a year ago, and I can't remember which city it was in the Central Valley, that they they really were out of water. Like they'd turn on their taps and water wasn't coming out. Was that a 
dirty rumor that <laughs> no that's uh, probably Porterville East yes, Porterville right yeah that's um, yeah they're importing water right and trucking water in and so the the article that I was reading was talking about how yet again the poor are are disproportionately impacted by you know the water shortage than the rich and you know more reasons to feel guilty about your station mm-hmm. <laughs> but so they are importing water are they are they doing better now feeling terrible about the people in Portugal. Well, we, we've, we've tried to approach them a few times to see you know, what we could do to help them, but um, so I'm not, not current on that, but mm-hmm. probably in the last couple of months, when we last looked at it, they were, they were still importing, importing water. And they're on yeah. water restrictions. Yeah, I assume they're on deep water restrictions where they're... I'm sure, yeah. 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 I don't know where they rank on the, on the tier, um, you know, the overall tiers for, this, for the state, but I think it's like 450 water utilities that are on the list for, for the uh, water restrictions to get to the 25%, they're probably pretty high. Yeah, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, There actually there are a number of communities in the Central Valley that are in really uh, dire straits for water, but I think um, we met uh, just earlier this week with a fellow that's very close to the to the uh, situation out there, and, and the Central Valley of California is a tremendous asset. It has a lot of water in storage, and those in deeper parts of the basin are drilling deeper wells, and those on the outside, if you can picture the basin as a, a large bathtub, mm-hmm. and, the, and the, the, the bathtub, as you get up higher in elevation toward the foothills, your wells aren't as deep. But the ones in the deeper part of the basin are actually impacting the the um, water levels at the rim, if you will, of the bathtub. So if they don't go deep enough, if their if their pump isn't actually in the in the well below where the water is, they're going to be out of water. In some cases, all they may may have to do is is lower the pump deeper into the well itself. And in other cases, they'd have to drill deeper than themselves. So it's Which a, all it's takes money, I situation. Assume. Good luck finding a well driller right now, though, right, Floyd? Oh, I know. They are, the well drillers are all busy, every one of them. It's amazing. Are they uh, – so do the well drillers go into the fr- – where, where are they? What are they doing? Well, a lot of them are right in the Central Valley. I know uh, uh, we've worked with a company called Lane Christensen, and their, their, their drilling rigs are out there mm-hmm. 24-7. They're just drilling – Drilling, 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 w- drilling water supply wells drilling, and, right, and, right. and so on. But right. but there's a, there was a um, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act that was passed in last August, I think it was, or October maybe, uh, to to basically manage the groundwater basins within California and um, you know, find new ways of replenishing the the groundwater because of the overpumping and certainly in the the areas like the Central Valley and Salinas Valley area. I'm glad you brought that up, Brian, because in Orange County, in South Orange County, San Juan Capistrano has a small little groundwater basin. And maybe not directly because of this new act that came out that you referred to, but uh, maybe part of it is that they're going to try to keep that basin filled with recycled water for the first time ever. Mm. That basin's extremely low. San Juan's wells had to have been shut off because it was so low. And so, you know, looking around for a bunch of different solutions, they're looking at possibly a combination of desalination, 
but primarily to put recycled water into the ground, pull it out, and treat it to potable standards and put it into the drinking water supply. So why not use the groundwater basin as a storage area for when you have droughts like this? Right, right. It's funny because Brian and uh, our daughters go to school together in sort of a progressive, environmentally conscious school. And I know that uh, one of the teachers there was going over to Africa with these... um, I can't even describe them, but they're, they're individual water purification systems that they go over to Africa and sort of help them desalinate their own water on an individual basis. I was picturing all of us ending up in that situation with our own home desalinization kits, <laughs> well, <you laughs> our little know, tablets that we put in our water. One of the things that, I don't know if you know this, Marie, but um, the school has, um, a, has one of the many wells on its property to put the recycled water back into the ground. So the the Orange County Water District facility that I mentioned earlier, uh, about half of the the produced water goes up to Anaheim. And as you fly in, you see those ponds up at at La Palma and the 91. So it's it's going back into the groundwater, replenishing the groundwater up there. So that, that goes up through a pipeline. The other half of the water that's produced in Fountain Valley goes through a series of, of wells up and down the, um, the coastline to, to stop the seawater from intruding into the groundwater and contaminating it because as the, as the pumping of the groundwater was occurring throughout Orange County, northern part of Orange County, it was drawing in the seawater. So oh. it was further impacting the groundwater supplies. And Orange County Water District's mission is to manage the groundwater and protect it. So one of the wells is actually on the school property and according to the water district, and maybe they say this to everybody, but it's the most important well that they have because of the interesting geology of that particular property. So um, that's you know we we've talked about that in in some of the classes as to how important that property is. So it's it's that's uh, cool. it is it's very cool, and yeah. and and the kids seem to be uh, very interested by that. I bet yeah. Water is becoming cool again, as you mentioned. That's right. Yeah, it is. It's a sexy topic. Dot H two O. Well, I really like the idea of the iPhone notification system of, you know, where you are in your rates. I mean, it's kind of like weighing yourself every day, right? If you're aware of that, it, oh, I'm up two or three pounds, time to pull back on the cake. I mean, same thing with the water, probably. You know, oh, yeah. our usage is a little bit up. Maybe we should take a look at things. Yeah. That probably is, I mean, from a home perspective of what people can actually do to help themselves out. Well, it's like looking at the uh, my AT&T app to see how much the girls have used on their data plan, you know? Right. <laughs> so, so they're going over. So, you know, it works. Information works, it right? Does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And if you're living in your ignorant bubble, you know, yeah. who knows what that exactly. It is truly the water, water everywhere, not a do- drop to drink here. You mm-hmm. know, with the ocean right there, you're just looking at it going, what? How could, yeah. how could this be? Are there um, are there any stories that we should talk about of the biggest challenges or some of the fun things that you've done on the job that um, no? <laughs> uh, I, well, <laughs> here's now time for the sexy stories that you can tell. It's us. a uh, when when people ask me personally what what uh, what I do, sometimes I say I'm in, in politics uh, because it is a very it's a very political business. And, uh, you know, water is politics. And, um, you know, so I would say that the, the heaviest lifting that, that I think we have as a state and, and, and we have in, in our business is to, um, is to get the political will going to, to solve these problems. 
I mean, that's, I don't know if that's drama. I don't know if that answers your question. But I, I would say that that's the, that's the part that sort of keeps me awake is, is you know, where is, are the politics going to lead in, in, in the water sector? Because I know, the, I know the, the Andes of the world can solve the technical issues out there. And uh, we know that there's money. And um, it's just, we just need to get through this as a state politically. The one story I wanted to share was that if you're a uh, UCI engineering student out there, you want to get into water treatment and wastewater treatment, you'll probably be expected to drink the water on the back end of your wastewater plant when you're all done at the ribbing cutting ceremony. Well, one of the plants that we did, they accidentally collected it upstream of the disinfection system. So fortunately, we took a shot of whiskey afterwards and everything was all right. But uh, make sure that you collect it in the right spot if you get into this field. And as, and as someone said about recycled water, they said it's the taste of California's future. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, One point I'd like to make about, uh, you, you brought up desalination earlier. Other um, places like Australia have, have run into this same issue, same issue being an extended drought, prolonged drought. Their response was to build four large desalination plants and, of course, Re- recycling water was along along with that. Uh, Israel ran into the same thing, and they, they now have uh, a good percentage of their water provided from ocean desalination and recycled water. They recycle, I think, 85% of their total wastewater. Yeah. Uh, so we can learn a lot from those folks, and I think California, uh, California will never run out of water. I'll have to say that. I mean, you have a as big a reservoir sitting on the west coast as we do goes all the way to Japan. It's got a lot of water in it. <laughs> and frankly, the, the um, uh, technology, membrane technology, is improving dramatically, even five years ago. I think the membrane efficiencies are probably uh, uh, you know, multiples of what they were even five years ago, and that's going to change even more. Fantastic. We have about two minutes left. Any concluding remarks? Should we have talked about something that we didn't talk on? <laughs> talk all day. To talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that um, a controversial subject, I think, are the rates, is what yeah. people pay for water. You know, water uh, is perceived as a social good. Mm-hmm. You know, God gives us water, but he doesn't deliver to the house for free. You know, so I think that, uh, you know, in Ireland at the moment, I mean, it's a very controversial subject of the introduction of rates. And uh, I think, you know, there needs to be, there is becoming more awareness in California on water and the importance of it as a utility and <coughs> paying for the infrastructure. It is probably one of the cheapest utilities we have. We probably pay more on our iPhone or cable TV than we do in water. So, you know, I think r- people are getting more comfortable with rates, but it's still a controversial subject, you know, paying for water. And I think people hopefully will start understanding that we're not paying for water, we're paying for the delivery of safe water. Like the internet. People get mad when you have to pay for content on the internet now. Yeah. Why should I pay for the Wall Street Journal? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I just wanted to conclude with it's a great industry to be in. And the industry is growing and there's a lot of opportunity. And so, you know, when I teach my classes at Santiago, and I know there's a lot of people interested here at UCI that. Uh, you know, it's it's really a lot of fun to solve these challenges and, and be the uh, a part of the greater good here. Perfect. I, I think in conclusion, from just a more of a statewide perspective, many communities have actually looked at water as a means to control growth. 
and I think that's that's where the political side of this thing has been uh, very damaging, frankly, to the state of California. I think when you put a community at risk because of poor planning that you expect we can't issue one more building permit because we don't have enough water, that puts the entire community at risk for not only um, you know using or providing existing needs but for fire protection, things like that. It just I don't think the community leadership looks at issues like that enough, but it's they're going to have to now. Right. Gentlemen, this was incredibly enlightening. I'm glad to know that Orange County is in the forefront of uh, water conservation. That was illuminating the uh, the great plant in Fountain Valley. That was really that's really cool. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we have Kimberly Martin, our regular host, who has called in. She had a uh, a little thing to share with us about a going on in Orange County. Kimberly, are you there? I'm here. Yes, that was a great interview. I can't wait to hear the interview in its entirety on podcast. So that's wonderful. Um, Me too. So, okay, you there? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm here. I'm here. I was trying to think okay. of a witty comeback, but I didn't really have one. So go ahead. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I know. Those take, long, those take longer to close the brain than they right. used to, don't they? <laughs> we're, we're not middle-aged women or anything no. like that, right? No, I'm very, I'm very quick. Quick on the uptake. <laughs> but speaking of middle-aged women, though, I had the pleasure of getting down to the Laguna Beach Playhouse and seeing Love, Lost, and What I Wore, which I just giggled the entire time I watched the show. And um, the Laguna Beach Playhouse called me today and said they were willing to give KUCI listeners uh, two pair of tickets to go see the show for a donation to KUCI. So I know it's a little late Perfect. after our fun drive, but I thought, hey, why not throw it out there? I had such a good time. Maybe somebody else might enjoy getting down there to the Laguna Beach Playhouse and seeing it as well. I love that. Well, yeah, we'll tell people to call in. If you call in okay, the next too. five minutes, you can get water tips also. <laughs> water tips. Oh, my gosh. So Love Lots of What I Wore was written by Dora and Delia Efron, and so it was hilarious. There's some um, pretty star-studded lineup. I have to say each week they're featuring different actresses, but many of them were well-known actresses, people we've seen you know, throughout the years. So uh, lots of fun, lots of, lots of discussion about, about clothing, which you'd think it would be mostly women, but frankly there were a lot of men in the audience laughing along with them. So <laughs> love it. Too fun. You might want to get down there. You're close, aren't I you? I am. I could roll down there on my on my skateboard. You could roll down there on your skateboard. <laughs> I could see you doing that, Marie. Yeah, Is that'll that be great. you do on the weekend? <laughs> my weekends are all secret. <laughs> all secret. All right, well, so 824-5824. Call in, make a donation to KCI. The tickets are worth anywhere from 40 to 60 bucks. So if you make a, a donation for about half that, you probably um, find yourself um, you know, a pretty good deal there. $35 donation, I think, is what we asked for. That's perfect. I think so, yeah. Good. I know, not bad, huh? That's a good deal. I like it. All right, well, listen, you have a great weekend, and I will be back to KUCI next week. Perfect. Thanks so much, Kimberly. Thanks for, thanks for standing in for me. You're welcome. Okay, bye now. That's all the time we have for today. Kimberly, as she said, will be right back here with you next Thursday evening. If you missed any part of today's show, it will be podcast shortly on KUCI's website, KUCI dot org slash talk it will be on kimberly's website kimberlymartin.com i think it's on itunes i think the show uh gets automatically downloaded to itunes so you can look for us there stay tuned coming up next is counterspin you're listening to kuci on 88.9 fm in irvine thanks so much for listening have a great night